So among a few of us at our church, there's an ongoing competition to see who can correctly predict the most Premier League football scores. Now, sadly, I have to tell you that I am nearer the bottom than the top of the points totals. Sometimes I predict the right team to win, but only very occasionally do I predict exactly the right score. And most often, I don't get any of it correct. And actually, you know, even the person who is winning the competition gets more predictions wrong than he gets right. Now, if you don't like football, sorry to begin like that. The whole message won't be about football. But hopefully, even you can see that this is an example of the fact that we do not know the future. Even when we predict what we ourselves will do, never mind other people like 22 players on a football pitch, our plans may well end up changing in some way. The car breaking down, the weather, one of the children being ill, are just a few of the things that might make one or more of the days of this week turn out very differently to what you planned and you hoped. And then, of course, there are the things, aren't there, which means that the rest of your life does not go the way that you planned or hoped. The news your doctor gives you at a medical appointment, the death of a loved one, redundancy, not getting the university place you want, still being single when you want to be married. Those things can range, can't they, from being frustrating to being terrifying. But you know, here in Acts chapter 18, the Apostle Paul reminds us of a truth that makes a difference to all of that. We're going to have a look at three points this morning uh, to cover this reading that Andrew read for us a moment ago, Acts 18, 18 to 28. And the first of those points based on verses 18 to 21 is this. God is in control of your life. God is in control of your life. And the reason that's our first point is that in verse 21, Paul shows that that is the perspective he has on life. Look at verse 21 of Acts 18. As he left, Paul promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Now in his book of the Bible, James says that that is the right perspective for all of us to have on life. It shouldn't just be Paul's perspective. But that should be our perspective as well. Because James says that to think and act like you 
are in ultimate control of your life is to be arrogant since you are thinking and acting like you are God. James 4, 13 to 16 says this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. God is in control of your life and mine. But now look, even if that is right, perhaps this first heading sounds frustrating or even terrifying to you itself. If you are honest, I wonder, does the idea that you are not in control of many aspects of how your life is going to go, the idea that someone else is in ultimate control of all of your life. I wonder, if you're honest, does that sound not good to you? Well, that is understandable. That's an understandable feeling, I think, until you reflect on who that someone else is. Until you reflect on who it is that is in ultimate control of your life. Now we'll think more about that in a minute. But just first, let's understand, let's follow the passage through, and let's understand where Paul is when he expresses this truth that God is in control of his life and movements. Look at the screen for a moment. At this point in Acts, Paul is on what is known as his second missionary journey. That journey began there in Antioch, and Paul travels in an anti-clockwise direction around that red line. Now, last Sunday morning, you were with Paul there in Corinth. And today's section begins with Paul heading from Corinth by boat all the way down to Syria. There, verse 18, beginning of verse 18, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Now, in order to get there, that involves Paul, first of all, traveling over land, the short distance to Kenkre, uh, or however you pronounce that, the end of verse 18. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Kenkre because of a vow he had taken. And then as Paul gets on a boat, the first leg of the boat journey takes him there to uh, Ephesus. And that in Ephesus, that is where Paul acknowledges, as we read in verse 21, Paul acknowledges that his plans 
are subject to God's plans. Verse 21, again, uh, well, verse 20, when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Now, let's think a little bit more about that statement. Christian, here this morning, let me ask you, do you realize and feel that to be able to say that all our future plans and current circumstances are, if it is God's will, is a tremendously comforting and reassuring thing. It is, that is true, because of what God is like. I love a a quote by um, a man called Jerry Bridges, who sums it up like this. In his wisdom, God always knows what is best for us. In his love, God always wills what is best for us. And in his sovereignty, God always has the power to bring it about. Now look, that does not mean that you and I will understand everything that happens in our life. It does not mean that we should not feel sad and distressed about some things that happen in our life. But can I say to you this morning, it does mean... That whatever your circumstances at the moment, whatever your circumstances at the moment, however easy or however difficult, they are happening within the will, the plan, the control of the God who never makes a mistake. And who loves you so much that he even gave his only son in order to die to save you. And therefore, whatever is happening or has happened or will happen, God promises he does have a good purpose. First of all, we are reminded from this passage that God is in control of your life. But secondly, let's go on and see as well from this passage, the second part of it. The second thing we learn here is that all Christians need regular strengthening. All Christians need regular strengthening. Strengthening. So throughout the book of Acts, and I know you've been working your way through the book of Acts, just incidentally, we're working our way through the book of Acts on Sunday mornings as well. The really sad news for me, though, is that you're ahead of us, and so I couldn't use an old sermon this morning. I have to work hard to get ahead and prepare a new uh, message. You're going through the book of Acts, and you will probably know, therefore, that we read a lot in Acts about Paul 
and about the other apostles and other Christians speaking God's message to people who are not yet followers of Jesus. And wonderfully, through hearing that message, some of those people become followers of Jesus in the book of Acts. And so clearly, that is a vitally important task, which all who are Christians are called to play some part in, speaking the message to people who are not yet followers of Jesus. But here in verses 22 to 23 of Acts chapter 18, we read, don't we, about Paul going to many different places, kind of a summary statement covering many different places, in order to do what? In order to strengthen those who are already followers of Jesus. Verses 22 to 23. So after spending some time in Antioch, uh, sorry, no, back to verse 22, when he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, that's in Jerusalem, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening the disciples, strengthening the followers of Jesus. Let's just look at map again for a minute. This is a different map from before. Paul ends his second missionary journey by arriving back in Antioch towards the top of Syria there where he started that second missionary journey. And then he begins in verse um, 23, he begins what is known as his third missionary journey. And that's what it looks like there on the map. Begins in Antioch and again he moves around in an anti-clockwise direction. And as he visits places he has been before, especially in the region of Galatia up there, as he visits places he's been before, his purpose is to strengthen Christians and churches. Let's think about a few simple pictures. Mobile phones need plugging in to charge regularly, don't they? Cars need filling up with fuel and servicing at the garage regularly. People, you and me, need to eat food regularly. And similarly, for similar reasons, Christians need to hear God's message regularly and to pray and worship and interact with other Christians regularly. Now let me ask you this morning, Christian, do you really believe that is true? And what would your daily and weekly pattern of life suggest is really the answer to that question? Matthew 4 verse 4 says this, man, that means human beings, men and women, does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now just think about that picture 
for a minute. Think about the picture of that verse for a minute. How often do you and I need to eat in order to live? Well, the general answer is regularly, isn't it? So likewise, this verse is saying we do not just need God's message once when we come to trust in Jesus for the first time and begin our spiritual life. No, we need, just as we need bread, food regularly, we need God's word, God's message regularly as Christians. Let me ask you, do you want uh, Going back to the pictures I used a moment ago of mobile phones and cars and stuff, let me ask you, do you want to be a charged up, working, energized, strengthened Christian? I hope you do. God wants you to be that. Well, if you do, let me urge you, make being here and being engaged every week a priority. And make engaging with the Bible and prayer throughout the week a priority. On your own, and with other Christians, as you have opportunity. Now what I've just said there is not rocket science. Being a charged up, working, energized, strengthened Christian is not complicated. It's not something that only a select few could ever hope to attain. Because God has not designed it to be like that. But what I have just said there, it might not be rocket science, but it is important and it is beneficial. Christian, can I urge you to see that you are not the exception to the fact that in order to keep going and to keep growing in the Christian life, we all need regular strengthening. Paul knew that about the churches and the Christians that he went to visit in this part of his journey. And Christian, you are not the exception to that truth. You need regular strengthening through God's message, through worship, prayer, and time spent interacting with other Christians. All Christians need regular strengthening. And let me just add one more thing under this second heading. Christian, do you realize as well that you don't need to be an apostle or a church leader in order to serve God by helping other Christians to be strengthened. Hebrews 10 verse 24 speaks to all of us. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Is there someone you could encourage to keep going? Or someone you could help to grow, perhaps even as you talk after this service. Or by initiating a regular meeting over coffee for accountability, for prayer, 
reading a book together or whatever it might be. God is in control of your life. All Christians need regular strengthening. The third and final thing we learn from this passage, uh, the third section of it, is this. God's message is about Jesus. God's message is about Jesus. So yesterday I went with my three oldest children to watch the British Indoor Athletics Championships uh, up at the arena in Birmingham. And it was easy to see that the sponsor of this event was Spa, the, uh, the shop uh, chain. The reason it was easy to see that was because that name and logo was everywhere. On the website when I booked the tickets, on the tickets in themselves, on the programs that we bought one of, on the advertising boards all the way around the track, on the name labels worn by the athletes who were competing, everything said SPA. SPA was throughout the whole event. And you know, it's similar with the Bible. Because when we come to the Bible, we find that in different ways, everything throughout the Bible says Jesus. Um, the introduction to one of the children's Bibles that we have read often with our kids, it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible, it's excellent if you haven't come across it. The introduction says this, there are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of the story is a baby. That's Jesus. Every story whispers his name. He is like the piece of the puzzle that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you see a beautiful picture. Now, of course, that's easy to see in the New Testament, isn't it, where who Jesus is, what he achieved by his life, death, and resurrection, and what following him looks like is clearly explained in the New Testament. But I wonder, perhaps you struggle a bit more with the Old Testament. But you know, the key to understanding the Old Testament is to understand that Jesus is there as well. Jesus' coming into the world in the Old Testament is predicted and anticipated. What he would do when he came into the world is pictured by things like animal sacrifices and the temple and rescue stories like the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. In one way or another, everything in the Bible says Everything says Jesus is needed and he is coming and he will save and reign. And you know, 
we're reminded that that's true in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 to 28. We're reminded here in this last section of this passage that God's message is about Jesus. What's going on in this last section? Well, basically, in this section, a Christian couple called Aquila and Priscilla help another Christian called Apollos to understand and therefore teach God's message more adequately, which really means more completely. So verse 26, uh, we're in Ephesus still, verse 26. Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue, the meeting place of the Jews. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately, more completely. The end of verse 25 suggests that the, the gap in Apollos' understanding may have been around the coming of the Holy Spirit and the implications of that, because it says that Apollos knew only the baptism of John rather probably than the baptism of the Holy Spirit who had now come into the world. But the thing I want us to notice under this third heading is that both before and after the input of Priscilla and Aquila, what Apollos was teaching about is Jesus. So before the input of Priscilla and Aquila, verse 24 to 25, we're told named Apollos, a native of Alexandra, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. So there was gaps in his understanding and therefore in his teaching, but he was teaching about Jesus. And then after the input of Priscilla and Aquila, what do we read in verse 27 to 28? When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. There's another example, by the way, of Christians being strengthened. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So Apollos learnt from Priscilla and Aquila. He was given a more complete knowledge of God's message, but what did not change was that his message was about Jesus. Apollos preaching about, Apollos' preaching being about Jesus did not need to change. In fact, what Aquila and Priscilla enabled him to do was to speak more fully about Jesus and what he has achieved, including the sending of the Holy Spirit into the world. And so let's be reminded, thirdly this morning, that God's message is all about Jesus. 
which of course is a great place to draw towards a conclusion. Because that being true is great news for every one of us. That God's message is about Jesus is great news for every one of us because Jesus is a complete saviour. Let me ask you this morning, are you like me, aware of your own imperfections and your frequent, repeated failures to live as you want to and certainly as you should? Well, if like me, that's true of you this morning, then praise God that his message is about Jesus Jesus, that name that means God saves. God saves. Praise God that his message is about one in Jesus who forgives all of our sins. One who is changing us if our faith is in him. And one who will one day make us and all of creation perfect who will save us and all of creation fully and finally from even every presence of imperfection and failure. And one who invites every single one who has not yet done so to come and to rely upon him to do all of that for you. Wherever you've been in life so far, whatever you have done, whatever your imperfections and your failures, Jesus invites you to come to him to receive that forgiveness, that change, that part in his plan of salvation for the whole world. And so both before and after Priscilla and Aquila helped Apollos with his preaching, he was preaching about Jesus. Because at its centre, God's message is about him, the saviour through whom and provides. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for these truths that just in very simple ways in this in these passages, just in a a few short words in, in short statements, we are reminded of great truths, big truths that should be helpful to us, and we pray that they will be helpful to us. Father, I pray that um, we will be reassured by the truth that you are in control of our lives, and Lord, that if we're Christians, that you are working all things together for our good. Father, if anybody's struggling with that truth this morning, pray that you'd help them, that you'd draw near to them, that you'd encourage them to find find rest and peace in that truth. Father, I thank you for the testimonies earlier in the service of, of from Ben and David uh, about this truth and seeing it outworking in, in their lives. And Father, I do pray as well that you'll help us all as Christians to recognize that we need regular strengthening if we are going to keep going and keep growing as Christians. Father, help us not to think that we know better than you and that we don't really need that. Help us to make wise decisions and set wise priorities so that we receive the regular strengthening of your message and all the means that you've given us. 
And Father, thank you that your message is all about Jesus. Thank you so much that he's a saviour. Thank you that he forgives, he changes, he helps, he is working out his plan throughout the whole of creation to rescue it from the the pain and the sadness and the uh, damage that has been caused by sin coming into the world. Father, I pray that everyone here will have a part in that, draw any who don't know Jesus to trust in him and help us who are his people to keep trusting in him and to rejoice in the good news that in him we have a saviour. Thank you for your message. We praise you in Jesus' name.